Matthew and I are here for another week of Clean Tech Talk. Our stories for this week are a $5,000 electric car rebate and the effect it's having on electric car sales in British Columbia, supercharging and the importance of high-speed charging in the overall electric vehicle ecosystem, and the final story will be on the Gigafactory comparing facts and fiction as it relates to the job creation numbers that Tesla is producing. Uh, Before we jump in, a quick word from our sponsor. This week's podcast is sponsored by Pono Home. Pono Home can make your home healthier while also saving you money with personalized in-home assessment that can help reduce utility bills, remove toxins from your home, and make you and your family more comfortable. Check them out at PonoHome.com. That's P-O-N-O-H-O-M-E.com. Thanks, guys. And yes, for our first story, we want to cover this analysis that I had uh, the good fortune to do on the return of electric car incentives in British Columbia. What basically happened was that the the province had a $5,000 purchase rebate for the purchase of plug-in electric vehicles, but no HOV lane access uh, was offered. The rebate funding program ran out. This is in early 2014. And then it was restored in early 2015, again, on the purchase price incentive as opposed to HOV lane access or free parking or other incentives. And so what this offers us is a nice little ABA study of what are electric vehicle sales uh, like when we do have incentives in place, which reduce the upfront cost versus when they're not in place. And then once again, when they are in place. And what we did in this to reflect the fact that the absolute number of vehicle sales can be affected by oil prices, local economy, things like that, is I just compared it with the sales in British Columbia versus Ontario and Quebec, two large provinces which have themselves a fair number of electric vehicle sales. And it was a very interesting bifurcation, if you will, where the high-end vehicles, the luxury vehicles, the BMW and the Tesla, they weren't really dependent on uh, the the number of sales, rather, the proportion in BC versus Ontario and Quebec really didn't change much whether incentives were in place or not. But for the more mass-marketed vehicles, the the Chevy Volt, the Nissan Leaf, the the smart electric drive as well, did some numbers on, uh, those were much more impacted. And so what that might suggest to us is that at the high end, we have electric vehicles which are compelling on their own. You know, there's, they, they compete already. They beat the competition. Uh, and at the lower end, we perhaps have more people reaching or stretching financially to get that leaf, that Volt, who would otherwise wind up perhaps with, you know, your, your Toyota Camry or your, your Honda Civic or something of that sort. There was one other little uh, wrinkle that we were able to pull in, which was that the uh, Volt sales didn't recover quite as much percentage-wise, and that's probably not so much a a function of consumer preference so much as the spectacular sales results of this one particular dealership in Quebec, Bourgeois Chevrolet, and among the tools that they use to emphasize the advantages of plug-in vehicles are that you know they lend out the vehicles for free trials for a few days just to make sure people can do the entire cycle of their weekly driving to assure that the uh, the volt usually will meet their needs they have like 30 pre-orders for the bolt with a b as well which is pretty impressive and uh, they have all their their uh, sales staff trained And uh, lastly, they happen to be about 30-odd miles from Montreal, which means that they are really in the sweet spot where a good plug-in electric vehicle, even if it's a plug-in hybrid, will definitely reduce the the annoyance factor of having to refuel uh, when, when you're doing your commute. 
Kyle, seeing as uh, California is something of the commuting capital of the world, if I understand correctly, um, uh, do you have any um, you know thoughts on that? Yeah, I think this was a really interesting study that you put together. I mean, it, it really called out a lot of key factors, I think, that play into the purchase of the car. And like you said, I think the biggest one is that the the larger the purchase price, the smaller the incentive is as a factor for purchase. And so that was it was really interesting to see uh, hard data to support that. And I really liked the fact that you called out uh, the impact of that the dealer in Quebec that's really putting a focus on selling electric cars. I think that's really great to see how much of an impact across the whole country they're making. And that's, that's hopefully a model that some of the dealerships in the U.S. will lean into and start to follow. Um, I think it called out a few things specifically to me that I thought were unique. I think it's unfortunate that there were only 60 cars worth of rebates, so around $300,000 worth of rebates offered. I think that's barely a drop in the bucket, and it's going to run out pretty quickly. I mean, especially given the the volume from that single dealership that's selling just the Volt, I think that's going to drink up those rebates really quickly, and we're going to be right back in that same boat looking for funds. So that's unfortunate. I think, to me, that should be a message to regulators and people that are looking at these incentive packages, and hopefully they'll stretch for a larger pool of money in the future because there really is demand and it's only going to be growing from here moving forward. So I think maybe a smaller rebate stretched across a larger number of cars or something similar where we can just expand that the number of cars being impacted by these rebates is something we should look for in the future. It was initially about six million dollars of rebates, which were available. Okay. So it was on the order of a thousand. So it, even though the funds are running down, uh, it was you know modestly funded. Uh, the cars sold a lot faster than the three years they budgeted for, which is a positive sign. And uh, there have been rumors that the province will come out with a renewed or sort of refreshed uh, policy support, whether it's rebates or not, is open to question. But uh, one hopes that. As you're saying, this will encourage policymakers to say, hey, you know, this is worthwhile. It is helping people who otherwise would not purchase uh, electric vehicles into those electric vehicles. So, so yes, uh, you know, um, kudos to them. Yeah, that definitely does put a different uh, spin on it. But I think, like you said, it, it definitely renews the uh, need for a new rebate and a new package there. And perhaps it could be a reduced price now that there's some momentum in the uh, the country there for EV purchases. The last point, I guess, for this first intro I wanted to make was um, that I've also heard that for every $5,000 the price of a car drops, the number of consumers that can afford that car doubles. And so I think it's a really interesting study. I put those higher levels of price, like the $90,000 Tesla, um, as you called out in the article, and the $45,000 BMW i3, that's not as much of a factor because you have a smaller pool of car buyers to work with. But at those smaller number, at the lower price points of cars like the Leaf and the Volt, where they're already relatively affordable, taking $5,000 off of that really does introduce the car to a lot more potential buyers in terms of volume. So I think it's a, it's really neat to see those impacts. I think it was a really good article to spotlight that for, for regulators and for other people looking to, to incentivize purchase of EVs. I'll chime in and say as well that it's a really interesting case study and, and thanks for, for diving in so deeply, Matthew. It's really, uh, really cool. Um, again, I think it yeah, just brings up the, the issue of limited models and segmentation in the, in the EV market. Uh, Michael Liebrich and I were talking a lot about that in Abu Dhabi a couple weeks ago. Uh, I mean, there's just such a such small 
segments of the car market that now have, you know, really competitive electric vehicles. And it seems like genuinely the only one where the electric vehicle is really like the best option in the class is, is with the case of the, um, at least by, by all, all, you know, typical standards is the Tesla, Tesla Model S. And I guess we can say now the Tesla Model X, they just, uh, as we've seen in, in case after case, they're outselling every other large luxury vehicle or large luxury sedan and in the case of the Model S in both the US and Europe. And it's just because they're just that much better than everything else. On the lower end, you know, I think there's still a case to be made that the Leaf is like the best car in that class or the Volt in that one. If all the, you know, conditions are correct, like if you can charge it, if you don't need to drive more than, you know, 50 miles a day, if you, you know, have a second car, if you need to, to go on long trips once in a while. So you have to have those conditions in place. And that, that pretty quickly, I think, cuts down the, the market. And also, you know, someone has to actually drive it to understand the core benefits or even live with it to understand all of the core benefits. So that, that again, you know, people aren't exposed to it enough. Tesla has done so wonderful on social media and on the web and in general from reviews that I think a lot of people in that market know without trying it, that it's, that it's highly regarded and considered the best vehicle in the class by, by a lot of people. So, so yeah, I mean, there's again, that differentiation, a Tesla versus every other electric vehicle, which we've seen, which we saw repeatedly in this EV report, which is published a 70 page EV report um, serving uh, initial owners and potential owners. Basically, uh, you know, I learned that anytime I do a report or study going forward, I basically am going to have to segment Tesla out, you know, do all of the questions for Tesla owners separately because it's just such a different vehicle uh, with such different, you know, qualities, range, uh, superchargers, etc. But it, again, it, this this obviously, I think, does show that financial incentives are really important for EV growth at this stage. That that stood out as the key incentive um, that our survey respondents highlighted as well in that report I just mentioned. You know, the, the upfront price of EVs is still large because of the relatively large cost of batteries. So so we really need these in place. But we also really just need more options on the market and need more options that that are widely available and that compete with with standard gas cars on uh, a lot of normal. Uh, metrics and also you know you, you regarding the drop in sales of the the leaf and the vault even and not recovering not recovering after the rebate came back i mean we we saw a big drop in sales in the us and elsewhere as consumers were anticipating the the next gen leaf and vault uh, you know waiting for the 2016 or 2017 vault and waiting for a, lo- a longer range Nissan Leaf or even the Chevy Bolt or Model 3. So I think across the, the board, sales of those vehicles have been, I think, pretty dramatically hurt just by uh, people waiting for the, the better coming models. But uh, Matthew, Kyle, any any last words on this story? Uh, nope. I think it uh, pretty much stands on its own. And a uh, regular reminder to readers that uh, I'll make sure to uh, enumerate a bunch of the things that we're re- referencing in the uh, show notes so that uh, you know they can follow up at their leisure. 
so then jumping into the next story. Um, so from that study, one of the big findings, in my opinion, that and, and just to, to make clear, so this study, that this is a report that we just published, um, it surveyed over a thousand EV owners and over a thousand potential uh, buyers, uh, people who are likely going to get an EV fairly soon. So these are early adopters and first followers, people who are really at the front of this market and understand it well enough to understand what's important to them. Uh, they might not be, they might not have the same preferences of the mass market, but they offer a lot of insight into how to grow the market, I think. So one really key finding that was that presented itself in a few occasions was the importance of uh, the Tesla supercharger network or a comparable super fast charging network. Because uh, while we have DC fast chargers, Chatmo and CCS or SAE combo and Tesla superchargers, lumping them all together, I think it is, isn't really a, a good thing to do because Tesla superchargers are typically twice as fast as the others, which is really critical, especially on a long range trip where you know, it goes from driving for two hours and charging for 30 minutes to driving for two hours and charging for an hour. Uh, and I think when you have to charge for an hour after every couple hours of driving, it's it's really inconvenient. It doesn't, it's not going to satisfy, but just a few of uh, drivers. So, so we saw that when, when I asked about the importance of such a super fast charging network, for buyers, uh, all but 10% were more attracted to, to a car that had access to such a network. And uh, 65% were like significantly or much more attracted to, to such a car. So I mean, that that's the differentiator between the Tesla Model 3 and the, and the Chevy Bolt or the Tesla Model S and any long range electric car from from any any other manufacturer. So, uh, yeah, I'll let you guys dive in more here. Um, but I think this is just, this is just one of the critical keys of, of the EV revolution, EV market growth, and the only company that's tackling it, at least publicly so far, is Tesla, unfortunately. Building on Zachary's comments, I wonder if a good way of thinking about uh, electric vehicles, or maybe even cars in general, is the fact that it's not just the car, but the sort of the ecosystem that you're buying into. It's it's not quite the same as, you know, the Apple ecosystem or maybe the Google ecosystem with Android. But the electric vehicle, uh, one part of it, a very big part of it is the uh, the vehicle itself. You do also need to have the, you know, the ability to charge at home for almost everybody. And then a lot of people will want the flexibility that, the super fast charging, the supercharging or equivalent will offer. And it got me thinking a little bit about how in the human body, apparently, you know, we're only like 50% of the cells are actually human. The other 50%, or maybe it's a higher number, uh, are the different species of bacteria that live in our gut and help us, you know, survive by helping us digest our food or little enzymes and whatnot. And in a similar way that, uh, you know, the car, the, the value proposition or the the desirability of an electric vehicle isn't just about the vehicle, but the other ancillary or associated 
uh, services and um, features it provides, then perhaps the study that uh, Zachary has uh, conducted speaks to the fact that, yes, indeed, it is the, the ecosystem that is very important. And, and indeed, perhaps that gives Tesla a, an advantage over the legacy car makers in that they have built their own system. Getting even two big automakers to agree on a standard for charging, as we've seen with the whole Chatamo versus uh, SAE um, imbroglio, is that uh, I'm sure that it would be easier for Tesla as a single decision-making organization to expand its network than for multiple car makers to all decide on some other standard. Yeah, I agree, though, Matthew. I think it is uh, an interesting mix of factors that play into what make up a viable electric car. And it really made me start thinking about the the minimum viable product that uh, I think Elon Musk talked about at, at a recent Hyperloop uh, ceremony. He was actually talking about the minimum viable solution. And that that's really more applicable here as well, because we're not just looking at the car. I mean, the sub 100 mile range electric cars today are viable. They actually meet the daily needs of the majority of consumers. Uh, but when we start looking at more of what consumers are used to or kind of filling that second car gap, um, so the second car in, in a household where you generally use the other car to go on the longer road trips or fit the full family in, that's where we start hitting these these major bumps in the road and, and range and recharging speed really become major issues. And it's really related to what co- consumers are interested in and what they're used to now versus what actually meets their needs. It's those holiday trips, those work trips, we're going on these longer drives that these become issues. So uh, for me, when I when I did my recent cross-country drive, I, I obviously hit up a lot of these superchargers, and I found that the 130 kilowatts... And just, and just as a reminder, so Kyle bought a CPO Tesla in Ohio and drove it back to LA, so, uh, or LA metro area. So this was a pretty big drive for right after getting your Tesla. Yeah. Yeah. I just hit the ground running with that. Um, but this, this experience of the supercharging was really a key piece of what I wanted to, to try out. Uh, I was kind of rolling the dice uh, on it, but it actually worked out really well. But what I found is that that speed of 130 kilowatt roughly charging that the superchargers run at today, um, I would say it's sufficient, uh, but it's not really what consumers are used to and so for the average consumer to do what they're what they're doing today in gas cars uh, i think we really need to shoot for a minimum of 150 kilowatt charging speeds and so like you mentioned zach with the current charging speeds on what the i guess mainstream auto manufacturers are calling fast charging are operating at it's just it's it doesn't even come close to what we actually need to be operating at to really meet those needs and meet the expectations of consumers. So I think, yeah, I mean, to, to be honest, I, I've really come to hate that term. I really don't. Uh, I think it's, it's disingenuous to call that fast charging just because it's faster than slow, slow, slow charging, but that's just not, it's not fast charging. So I think, I think it shouldn't have been named that. I understand of course why, but, but uh, it's a shame. Yeah. So um. I think on that note and, and with the, my fresh experience on the road, 150 kilowatt charging speeds is really what we need to start looking at as the base or like the minimum like solution for entry into the, to like a real charging world. That's, that's the new gas station of the future. 
Superchargers have that capability. They've been built with a little bit of room to grow, both in terms of um, speeds and stations generally. So I think they're in in better shape because they've taken a a look towards the future. And they're also working on the liquid-cooled charging lines. So that'll allow for either higher speeds or lower temperatures um, as folks do their charging. But I think we really need a paradigm shift in in charging and and we need to redefine fast charging as it were uh, moving forward. I would wanted to chime in a little more on that ecosystem idea that you brought up, Matthew, because uh, I think that that is really a critical thing that needs to be understood because car manufacturers are used to creating the car and not having to contribute to the ecosystem of a car's lifestyle. And aside from just the charging, Another key thing is uh, that Kyle has written about in the past was battery pack replacement, like being able to upgrade your battery pack down the road. I mean, this is a huge barrier to a lot of buyers is not wanting to buy a battery, a car with a battery, you know, with a a short range battery too soon because there's not an option from the car makers to upgrade it down the road. Uh, Only again, Tesla has been, has been offering this. So, so all of this together, we saw dramatic preference for the Tesla Model 3 over the Chevy Bolt, the Tesla Model S and X over other vehicles. When we asked respondents to to say which vehicles they were most likely to buy or lease and which vehicles they were most excited about. So I think, you know, Tesla has a, has a brand now based around performance, which is part of it. You know, there's a lot of enthusiasm about Elon Musk and Tesla. But frankly, there's just nobody else offering this ecosystem regarding the charging, the batteries, et cetera. And, you know, why? I don't know, but uh, that's a long discussion for another day. But I think um, if anyone's serious about selling electric cars, they have to tackle these two things. Uh, and, re- and just lastly, regarding the 150 kilowatt hour charging, um, that has been approved as a, as a next-gen charging level for Europe. And uh, European automakers have been talking about it. But again, it comes down to the fact of who's going to build a really integrated and widespread network. Uh, you know, it's not just having chargers here and there. You have to be able to, to drive along a, a variety of routes uh, using these chargers. So, But now, if if Kyle and Matthew don't have more on that, um, let's jump into the, yeah, the Gigafactory story in Nevada. Yeah, such exciting times right now with all this expansion in electric cars. And, and one of the major expansions happening, actually, probably the biggest story that not a lot of people are talking about is the gigafactory and just how critical that is to Tesla's future success and maybe the the missing piece of that in the plans for other manufacturers. But the story we're talking about today with that is uh, related to the Reno Gazette Journal. Uh, those are the guys who actually tried to get in or they actually got into the gigafactory job site right around midday is what it sounded like. It was like 11 a.m. And these two reporters got caught by Tesla's security and caused quite a, a stink, and kind of, they kind of got a black eye for that, um, as it were, um, for that whole event. And uh, let, let's just confirm it, it was a it was a uh, psychological black eye, not a physical black <laughs> eye. Right, uh. right. There was some mention of almost a physical skirmish there on the Tesla side when when I think they blogged about it. But yeah, it was. Well, yeah. I mean, the issue was that they got in, they were getting caught. The, the Reno Gazette Journal guys, and they actually drove the car into some Tesla personnel. Uh, and I think actually they had to go to the hospital. So it was actually, uh, yeah, the black eye or whatever it ended up being was uh, on, was on Tesla employee side. Oh, wow. Okay, that's even worse. 
uh, on the part of the of the journalists or uh, you know, reporters, bloggers, whoever they were. Okay, I stand corrected. <laughs> so yeah, the 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 recent story that I was looking into um, was related to Tesla not meeting job expectations or expectations for job creation. So Tesla had been offered a, I won't say a, I mean it was substantial. It was a, it was a massive tax incentive. It wasn't as large as some of the reports were making it out to be like over a billion dollars. A lot of it was kind of restated plans that were already in place, funds that had already been allocated. Um, so it was a, it's a tax incentive package. And a part of that was job creation. I mean, they want to, Nevada wants to bring Tesla to the area to invest money. But the key long-term benefit of Tesla being there is job creation. That's where the, the real tax dollars come from. That's what spurs the creation of other jobs in the economy. There's income taxes and just a, a ton of extra money and, and benefits that come from that for the state. So I was looking into these reports of Tesla not meeting their job creation commitments, um, specifically for the time period ending at the end of 2015. And as I started looking into all these stories that were coming out, they all had a common thread, and that was that they all referenced a single article by the Reno Gazette Journal. Um, and they were in my mind, I mean, they have an obvious bias based on the earlier incident at the Gigafactory. And so I started digging into that, and it just unraveled this huge mess of just bad facts and, and bad data in their article. I mean, they were comparing data from a state-hired economist uh, and the projections that they had made back in 2014 to the job creation estimates from Tesla today. And so they're not taking any numbers that Tesla had committed to. They're not taking any legal obligations or any tax um, incentive package obligations. They're, they're just taking these, like a state study from that kind of supported even having the discussion with Tesla to some of the numbers from, from last year. And, and to even complicate that further, some of the numbers they used were from like September. So they weren't even being honest about what they were comparing to. And those were the numbers from September that they put in the graphics um, comparing to the economist numbers for what they expected at the end of 2015. So there's a lot there, but ultimately, I mean, it was just, it felt like really disingenuous reporting. And um, yeah, it was kind of a, a bummer. I wasn't expecting that. I guess it's good for Tesla because it's it's good news that they are actually meeting their legal obligations, but it wasn't what I was expecting. So Matt, do you want to unpack that a little bit more? Yeah, I would imagine that... I guess first off, my sense is that when eco economists are asked to do various studies, it, it always seems that you can find an economist to support you know, various sides of an argument. So I would wonder whether the dismal science, as it's called, uh, has a lot of room for maneuvering in, in, ter in terms of assumptions. More generally, I would think this fits into the category of 99% you know, noise, 1% signal, if even that, that amount of signal. In the sense that, you know, I, I'm sure that there are a lot of uh, critics who know that if they if they pen something which is anti-Tesla, well, they'll get more hits for their website or or this or that. Uh, I'm sure that uh, in a in a state like Nevada, there would be a lot of people who are you know complaining about you know why is the government taking my taxes and giving it to this other American company, or basically there are a lot of people with access to grind and Tesla makes for nice juicy fat target. Uh, that said. Ultimately, you can you can say all you want, but in the end, it's just a matter of measuring, as you're as you're noting, you know, against the letter of the law, and you know, 
it's not really worth distracting oneself with in many cases these kinds of issues because ultimately you know by the end of the year by the end of any particular reporting period you can put up the numbers that the tesla reports put up the numbers that you know the state or some other organization has had them agree to and then you can say you know yes they're on track no maybe they're a little bit behind if if hypothetically they were even behind and and ultimately it's um it's it's much ado about nothing i would i would think uh, Zachary, what's uh, what's your take? Yeah, I mean, it would it would be interesting to be a fly on the wall in the in the room where this uh, this article is dreamt up and created. Um, I I actually it's surprising I didn't see it on other sites that I follow on any sites that I follow, and uh, thankfully Jigger Shaw passed it along to to us, um, uh, and I just quite quickly looked at it and thought, oh, wow, that's an interesting story. And we're, we're actually going to have something negative on Tesla, which uh, some readers will be relieved of since we typically just write about the great stuff Tesla's doing. Uh, and I gave it to Kyle and, and thankfully Kyle really dug in and did, did deep homework on it because uh, obviously it turned out to be a lot different than it seemed from the other reports. But, you know, I, I, I do think, I don't know how much. I mean, Reno Gazette Journal they they spend a lot of time on Tesla, obviously because it's it's a big player in their region now. Um, and I think that they write positive and negative stuff. I don't know if they have any kind of bias, but generally speaking, you know, news sites these days, you know, they they go to undesired lengths to 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 catch eyeballs, um, and you know, busting a, a popular name is a, is a is a common way to try to get eyeballs. There's a certain journalist, Bertel Schmidt, who, who loves doing this. Um, not a fan of his work because <laughs> it's often very, very uh, incorrect. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think that's probably what happened. They said, oh, let's, let's get Tesla on this. But I don't, I don't know. Uh, who, who knows? It's, it's just, uh, it's unfortunate that everybody just ran with it without checking the source and without realizing the, the actual story um, until Kyle came along and did a great piece. So thanks, Kyle, for that. Yeah, plus one on that. Definitely. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of the clickbait myself, and that uh, I'm, I'm eager to call that out where I see it because it just it frustrates me when I'm reading something and I click on it and then I get into it and it's like this is not what you said it was. This is not even. This is just smear. And so I was. Yeah, and I mean honestly, generally speaking, on our sites, I, of course, we get called out on clickbait titles sometimes, but. We try really hard not to do that kind of thing because I, I just don't think it's good in the long term. You do that a few times to a reader and the reader doesn't want to follow your site anymore. So I don't, I don't think it, it's good practice and it just feels wrong. Uh, so I, we, we really try hard not to do that. <laughs> Here in the uh, podcasting world, uh, we may have audio clickbait, but uh, certainly no headlines to, to tempt them misleadingly. Well, fun stuff again. So uh, thank you, Matthew, Kyle, for, for joining me again for another week of Clean Tech Talk. Uh, now that I'm back from Abu Dhabi, we should be fairly regular, although I'm supposed to go present in India in a week and a half. So that might mess up our schedule a little bit again. But uh, thanks again. Great stories. Great, great work, both of you uh, digging and you know creating really great original pieces that uh, I think stand out from the pack very highly so check in next week to get your electric fix